Thank you, Sam Booth. <laughs> Just a two-hour drive from Denver, Colorado, on a 37-acre compound in the middle of Fremont County, Colorado, sits America's highest security federal prison. Officially, it's known as the U.S. Penitentiary Administrative Maximum Facility, but for short, they call it ADX. Now, ADX is home to 361 of the country's most high-profile criminals. There you'll find ser serial killers, terrorists, mobsters, drug cartel leaders, and those that have been deemed too violent to live amongst the other prison population in the States. Prisoners at ADX spend 23 hours a day in isolation and solitary confinement in a cell that's 7 feet by 12 feet, soundproof, with a 4-inch slit window that shows only the sky. Now there at ADX, you're going to find people like Terry Nichols, who was part of the mastermind behind the Oklahoma City bombing. He is serving 161 consecutive life sentences. You'll find Robert Hansen, a Soviet spy. There, you'll find a man named Ramsey Youssef, who was part of the 1993 World Trade Center bombings. You'll find Richard McNair, a master escape artist who continually escaped, escaped out of other prisons, and he had to get moved to ADX. In fact, as I read about him, one, one way he escaped is that he mailed himself out of prison in a box. thought, that's pretty good. Also at ADX, you'll find Ted Kaczynski, known as the Unabomber. You'll find El Chapo Guzman, the leader of a Mexican drug cartel, serving life sentence plus 30 years. The thing about ADX is that no one has ever escaped from its walls. It's known as the Alcatraz of, of the Rockies, and prisoners can only get out one of three ways. You can live long enough to see your release date, which is, as you can imagine, very rare. Now, you could be transferred to another facility, which happens only occasionally, but for the most part, departure is upon death. You know, sometimes I think we live our own lives in our own ADX, our own Alcatraz of the soul. It's another form of ca captivity, not a federal penitentiary, but it's much worse than being sentenced to any ADX around. I'm talking about the captivity that sin can hold on our lives. You know, we can either stay there and let sin hold us tight, or there is release available. And if you find yourself in that place where you realize that, yeah, sin has got a tight hold on me, and I feel that, we can find ourselves asking the question, what's next? You know, what's next in life? Where do I go from here? Do I stay and remain stuck? Do I let sin win the battle of my heart and my soul? Or do we seek freedom and release through Jesus Christ, God's Son? Well, this morning, as we turn the page on calendars and um, look at a new year, I want to encourage us to look at turning the page on this idea of spiritual captivity and explore some freedom. So today we're going to explore what it looks like to be held captive by our past, then we're going to look into growth here in the present, and then pray into God's promises for the future. Well, this captivity of our, of our past can really be a tight stronghold in our lives. Past sins are kind of like the spiritual supermax of our soul. 
You know, when I was growing up in, in Minnesota, um, there was a juvenile uh, prison, a detention center, uh, just known as Red Wing Prison. And Red Wing was the place that you did not want to get sent to as a juvenile. In fact, rumors would circulate the hallways that if you screw up, you're going to Red Wing. Or we'd hear stories about, oh, so-and-so's at Red Wing, or so-and-so just got released from Red Wing. And fear of Red Wing prison kept me out of a lot of the trouble because that would loom over our, our lives. Well, it's worse than anything like Red Wing prison to a, a junior high or high schooler is sin's bondage on our life. It's really like solitary confinement of the soul. Solitary confinement of our hearts. And you know what? That's exactly where Satan wants us to be. Because that's where he is most effective in our lives. He can isolate us where we feel isolated and segregated in our own solitary confinement through our guilt, through our shame, through the sins after effects on our lives. And we, we go through life saying, no one should ever know about what I've done. Or no one should ever know about the struggle that I have in my life. Or we say to ourselves, I'm the only one who struggles with this sin. And because of that, we think, well, what will people think of me if I confess it and come out in the open with it? Well, that kind of thinking just closes the door on our spiritual solitary confinement. And that can wear us down continually wear us down until sin wins the battle. The great part about about starting a new year is we can think about starting new avenues in our life as well, stepping into a new life that Jesus brings us. You know, as we look at Bible history, the nation of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament, they knew a lot about captivity. They knew a lot about bondage, spiritual bondage. In fact, their nation itself rose out of spiritual captivity and physical captivity out of the nation of Egypt. And they're created by, by this freedom that they experience through the exodus from that. And they, we have a whole book of the Bible named after that experience that we call Exodus. And that word simply means departure. And for them, it was a departure from physical captivity, but it was also the greatest event in their history. It's the one event that, that created them as a nation of Israel. It defined who, who they were. It, it identified them as a people belonging to God, that they are set apart, they're special, that God's favor was on them. So if anything, they were going to look back at that captivity, that freedom, and say, yes, that's made us who we are today. But you know what? As powerful an event as that was, and as you read about it in Exodus, you read about the, the ten plagues that, that God sent to show His power, to bring about the release of His people. As powerful as that was, it wasn't enough to keep Israel free. Because later, as they enter the promised land that we read about in, in Scripture, they began to make small little choices that led them away from God and back into slavery. Now, it began with small little compromises in their belief in God because they were living in a culture that had a lot of other religions around them, a lot of other belief systems. So it began with little decisions like, okay, we'll, we'll worship God, but allow a little bit of this over here. 
or, or we'll, we'll, we'll do this in our faith, we'll practice this festival, we'll hold true to that, but then we'll allow a little bit of this belief to come in as well. And little by little, choice after choice, a little this, a little of that, led them away from His Word, God's Word, it led them away from God's commands for His people and back into slavery. And, and if you know your Old Testament history, other nations rose up like Babylon and Assyria, and God utilized those powerful nations to bring Israel back into a spiritual supermax of their own slavery. And their identity as a nation was gone. Their place of worship at Jerusalem, gone. The temple itself was destroyed all lost to seemingly insignificant choices over time. And you know what? That's where we find ourselves sometimes. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. We think, well, it's, it's not, you know, that's not a big sin. It's not a big deal. Sometimes we hold on to those past sins, those past mistakes, and they loom large over us. But we also have present little slips too, don't we? It often starts with questions or statements like, well, it doesn't really matter if I do that. It's, it's a small thing. It doesn't make a difference if I really read my Bible, if I really pray. You know, it's not that important to gather together as a community to worship with other believers. And then it begins to slide into, well, you know, faith doesn't really matter. What does God really make a difference in my life? And I'll set my own path. And before we know it, we've slipped down the slope and can find ourselves in that spiritual supermax prison where sin has a hold on us. Well, how do we move past that? I mean, those chains can be strong, right? Maybe, maybe you're in it right now. Maybe something's holding you back and you've been struggling along. You've been holding it a secret. And it's, and it's keeping you from Jesus. It's keeping you from faith in Him. Because the prison of our, of our own solitary confinement can be deep and oppressive. So we find ourselves asking here in this new year, what, what's next? What does this new year look like? What can it look like for you? Well, I want to suggest two things this morning, two things to hold on to in this new year. One is to keep your eyes on growing in the present and then also keep praying into God's promises in the future. So what's next for this new year? Well, it's a year where we can move from captivity to growth. Growth in the present, we, to, to talk about that, we can look at the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament pro prophet that lived and preached and ministered way back in about 740 B.C. At the time when that Assyrian nation was rising to power, looming large and threatening the nation of Israel. And eventually, Assyria would take over and engulf their whole region. Captivity was looming large. So here comes Isaiah the prophet, and the message of his whole book, of his whole preaching, his whole ministry was focus on God himself. Do everything according to God's plan. So if you were to read the pages of Isaiah, here's what, here's what we would learn, that everything is judged according to their relation to God. Whether we are rightly lined to Him or not, everything, God is the standard. Whether we vary from that or stay true to that. So Isaiah answers this question, well, who is this God of Israel that calls us into faith? He's the Holy One. 
He's the, the one who was high and lifted up. Isaiah tells us that he is sovereign over the whole world. He's the one whose salvation flows freely to, with endless supply. He's the one whose gospel is good news of happiness. The one who's moving in history towards blessing his people. Isaiah is a prophet that tells us that God is the only Savior and the world is going to know it. And when we rest in his promises, God is his people's strength. And to delight, in the, to delight themselves in his word can become our refreshing spirit, our refreshing feast. And to serve his cause, to serve his purposes is worthy of our devotion but he also says to rebel against him is endless death. So if you want a really good picture about who God is, we can look to the pages of Isaiah. But what does Isaiah have to do about growth in the present? What does he have to do about captivity from our past sins or from where we might find ourselves in that spiritual solitary confinement? Well, in the pages of Isaiah, he announces salvation to the world. He announces God's surprising plan for the whole world. In fact, he announces the coming Messiah. And in chapters 42 and 43, he speaks of this promised deliverance that the Messiah is going to bring through this servant Messiah. So today we, we can hold on to and we have the same promises. Deliverance from our own captivity. Not, not from a nation that holds us bondage, but from the captivity of our sins. So growth is present. Growth in the present is determined really by where our focus lies. So Isaiah says, look, look at the past. And as we look at the past, it helps us look towards the future. Listen to what he says in chapter 42, verse 9. He says, see, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Yeah, Isaiah says, by seeing what God, how God has moved, it can strengthen us for the future. Well, how do we see that? One way is by opening up the pages of our Bible and making Bible reading a part of our life because when we spend time in the Bible, we can see how God has moved in history. And as we do that, we can keep our eyes focused and looking for where he's moving here and now. Because God hasn't stopped working. God's movement didn't stop with the closing of Scripture, with, with the completion of, of the Old and New Testament. God is still alive, he's still moving, and he's still changing lives today. God is still at work. There's this beautiful image there in this verse 9 of Isaiah 42 when it says, you know, New things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. It's, it's a metaphor of, of plants and, and shoots and buds and flowers. He's saying, before you see any movement of God, He's already at work. Before you notice anything, God is working behind the scenes. So what does that mean? It means don't give up just because you don't see God moving at that very moment in your life. You know, another lesson from Isaiah, he tells us not only to look at the past to help us see the future, he says, look at the past, but don't hold on to it too tight. In chapter 43 of Isaiah, 
verse 18, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do, not, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, the context of this chapter 43, he's referring to the exodus of, of Israel from the nation of Egypt. This historical event, but he's not saying that it should literally be forgotten. He's not saying like, exodus? What exodus? That's, that's not what he's doing. He's saying that the exodus should no longer be the supreme example of God's redeeming power. As marvelous as, as that was, and, and yes, you need to remember that, but he says, don't dwell there. He says there's even greater things in store. So he says, see the former things, but don't stay in the past. Why? Because the Lord is at work in the present doing new things. God is always at work. But you know what? Nostalgia holds pretty tight in our minds, doesn't it? Nostalgia can have a strong hold on our heart. You know, we hang on to the, to the good old days. We, we remember how wonderful things were back when, and we have a tendency to forget all the bad stuff that took place back then. You know, that's, I know that's true for a fact for us military veterans, because when, when we're in active service, all we can think about is getting out, and once you're out, all you can think about was how great it was when you're in, you know, and you forget all the bad stuff. That goes on. Well, even in the context of our own faith, that can happen. You know, we, we look back fondly maybe at our, at our conversion story, at our testimony. We, we, we look back at fondness when we were baptized at, at whatever age it was. And those are important. Yes, we need to remember those. We need to hang on to those. But we can also look at this kind of nostalgia thing in the context of the church as well. Because we look back, yeah, and we say to ourselves, well, that's not the way it used to be. You know, I remember church when 25, 30 years ago when we would sing these songs or, or do this type of thing. And yes, we can remember those days, but we don't dwell there. Because God is still moving. He's still active. He's still making things new. A better question to ask ourselves is what is God doing in my life lately? What's God doing in your life this week, today? What's God working on in, in your heart right now in your life? You know, what I love about being a pastor is I get to see glimpses of those transformations going on in people's lives. I, I get to see God work in new people new ways and in old people in new ways and those little stories of transformations of when I hear here's what God is doing in my life right now I'm like yes because God is still changing lives today and I love hearing those stories about lives set free about you know people finding purpose people finding direction where God all of a sudden jumps out of the pages of the Bible and becomes real and alive and impactful for them I never tire of that. So journey, what is God doing in, in your life today? How's He working in your relationships? How's He working in your marriage? How's He working with your family as, as a parent, as a grandparent, an aunt, uncle? You see, from the message of Scripture, we learn that yes, there is a captivity 
of the past, but we don't need to let it hold us down. As we look at Scripture, we can see that growth is possible here and now in the present because God is still God. He's still at work. He's still changing people's lives. And because God is still working, we can look at the promises for the future as well. And this is where we can look at this new year and really grasp a hold of the promises as we think about this coming year. We can really take a hint about the promises for the future from King David. David was a, you know, Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And as David was about to uh, transition to a, to a place from um, where, where, where the temple was temporary and movement mobile, he's about to build the temple, permanent structure. He, he prays to God in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want you to listen to his prayer because something important stands out there. Beginning in verse 25 of 2 Samuel. It says, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Did you notice what David was doing there? What he prayed? I'll give you a hint. He says, keep forever the promise. Do as you promised. He's taking God's promises and he's turning that around and praying them back to God. He's just saying, here's what you said, God. I'm going to pray for it. So how does that help us today as we look at 2023 before us? We can remember what God has done in history and we can pray for him to move the same way today. And then we can keep our eyes open to see how he's moving right here in the present. You know, I, I did my seminary degree in church history, and it's, and it's been super helpful because it has allowed me to see kind of movements within churches and church trends over time, both good and bad trends. And I really believe that study in the past is, is important so we don't make the same mistakes in the present or the future. But also that, that time of studying has allowed me to see that God has always been moving in different ways throughout history. Through different church movements, through different ways, different avenues, God has always been at work. And God has always moved throughout history. He hasn't stopped and He hasn't stopped today. You know what our issue today is though? We have a memory problem, don't we? We have a short-term attention span when it comes to spiritual life. Now, in, in regular life, a lot of us struggle with short-term memory issues. I mean, technology has been great. It's done wonders for society. But it's also given rise to even shorter and shorter and shorter attention spans. You know, a 2008 study revealed that the average attention span back then was 12 seconds. 12 seconds. Now, science, scientists started retesting for new results in 2020, but they, were f they forgot what they're doing 10 seconds into it. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, you know, what, uh, 
Well, what, what causes short-term short-term attention issues. Sometimes it's a medical condition. You might have ADHD or anxiety or depression or other disorders. But more common, it's just we have too much information coming at us from too, too, too many different sources and social media. It has affected and impacted how we think and how we can process. And we know this is a problem. Why? Because some of you at this very moment are thinking, now, what was Dave just saying about that? <laughs> You know, there's things that we can do to improve our memory. You know, in, in life, we can curb our screen time, cut down how much time we spend on our devices. We can remove distractions from places of our work, um, in school or in meetings. It actually helps if you take notes with pen and paper instead of on your device because research has showed that that requires you to focus and, and remember what, what you have been what you're hearing, but also things like, you know, drinking water and getting exercise and staying hydrated. Those things help, help cognitive memory. Stop multitasking. That, that's a myth. Don't try to multitask. But also things like get, just get enough sleep and practice active listening. All of those things can help our short-term memory. But you know what? That's not just a current issue as well. Because if, if you look back at biblical history, it was a problem for Israel as well. They had a short-term memory on how God has worked in their life. So God set, set all these festivals in place. And he, he would say things like, remember the Sabbath. He made that one of the commandments. Remember this day because I have worked in history. I have created. So I want you to stop each week and remember and then yearly they would have these festivals to stop and remember and celebrate what God has done. Remember the promises, he's saying, in order to fuel the future. Well, here's what happens. We forget the promises of God. And when we do, we get stuck in, into our, you know, uh, sinful thinking. We stay in our prison and the prison of guilt and shame the prison of painful memories and hurt, it grabs a hold of our hearts, and there we stay. In our own spiritual, supermax, ADX prison of our soul. And that isolation intensifies with biblical short-term memory problems. So God's promises are what we need to hold on to this year. God's promises fertilize our heart to allow us to grow. I, I know here in a few months I'm going to have to give my lawn at, at our house a little TLC because this last summer the drought was brutal on it. I'm going to have to like start over and I'm going to be the crazy guy out of my lawn talking to the grass, you know, nurturing it back to life, fertilizing it. And sometimes it's the same way in our spiritual lives. We need to pour on that fertilizer. We need to spend time in Scripture. And that helps us answer this question of what's next. What's next for you in 2023? Well, let me encourage you as we close to, to start two habits or maybe uh, revive two habits in your life. One is just make Bible reading a habit. Now, you, you might be the kind of person that, you know, has faithfully read Scripture from cover to cover every year, you know, and, you, and you, you check off the boxes as you go through it. That might be you, and if it, if it is, great. 
But if you've never got into the habit of Bible reading, just start somewhere, someplace, and begin to read a little more than what you have been doing. Begin to say to yourself that I'm a person who reads the Bible. And just by saying that can help encourage the habit in your life. But also, a second habit, let me encourage you to this new year, is become a person who prays. And just say to yourself, you know what? I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. And, and I'm going to gather around other people who pray. I mean, join with others every morning, Sunday morning here at 8.15. We have people that gather in the prayer room right out those double doors to pray. Join them. Come early. Pray on Sunday mornings. Once a month, we have our praise and prayer nights on the third Monday of every month at 7 o'clock right here. Join together in one of those nights in the corporate time of prayer. I'm going to invite the praise team back up this morning. You know, let me ask you, Journey, what's next for you in this coming year? This is natural time of year to think about goals, to think about resolutions. Well, today I just want to ask you to start a couple of the habits. You know, historically they're called spiritual disciplines, but read the Bible and pray. To form a new habit, one study says it takes anywhere between 18 days and 254 days. So that's a wide spectrum. So what does that mean? Don't stop reading and praying after a couple of weeks. Keep at it. And before you know it, you will become that man or woman of prayer. You will become the man or woman that opens up the Bible and reads it every day. Because those new habits, they can fertilize our hearts so that you can hold on to God's promises for the future. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the promises that, that you give us. Thank you that we can have hope, new direction, new beginnings, and new life in you. So, Father, may we hold on to the promises that you give us as we dive into them, into your word, and as we pray them back to you in our prayer life. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at a new year and ask the question, what's next for each of us? So, Father, may we answer that question by saying, I'm going to be a man or woman of prayer and I'm going to be a man or woman of your word. So we lift up this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.